Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Uh, this is your podcast captain speaking. This is Mark Graven, and um, this is episode 195 for March 3rd, 2014. Um, I apologize uh, to you. I apologize to my guest today for the pilot announcement reference. Um, I think you'll forgive me. Uh, my guest today is a good friend of mine, Steve Montag. Uh, we're going to be talking um, in honor of National Patient Safety Awareness Week. Um, we're going to be talking about um, lean and aviation safety practices as applied to healthcare. Um, so, so Steve uh, is both a retired Navy pilot and a commercial airline uh, captain currently. Um, he's also involved um, through an organization called Life Wings in the movement to bring aviation safety practices and that culture into healthcare via uh, a process called Team Steps, and he's also been combining lean and team steps, something that we agree is uh, is a great idea. So I've known Steve for uh, probably at least five or six years now. We met through our shared interest in lean healthcare and discovered that um, at the time we both lived in Keller, Texas, which is also uh, coincidentally where uh, Ron Pereira from Gemba Academy and my guest for podcast 181 uh, is also from. So I don't know what's in the water or what's drawing lean thinkers to Keller, Texas. Um, but uh, it's, it's always great talking with Steve. This is just our first chance to be able to uh, record something to share with all of you. So I hope you find this interesting. I think we just barely scratched the surface. So if you've got questions or things you would want us to uh, maybe cover in a follow-up podcast, please go to leanblog.org 195 and leave a comment. Well, Steve, hi. It's great to have you joining us here as a podcast guest today. Uh, thanks a lot, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked uh, many, many times the first time we're recording it here. Um, excited to have you introduce yourself uh, first off here for the listeners um, You know about your, uh, I think you've got a really interesting background, if you can tell people about it. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I uh, am a former naval officer. I, I uh, graduated from the Naval Academy in uh, 82 and uh, went to flight school, and uh, I was fortunate uh, out of flight school to fly the F-14 Tomcat. I flew that on the East Coast, uh, and I flew for probably about uh, five years on active duty, and then I transitioned in 1989 to the reserves, and I continued to fly in the Naval Reserves uh, until 2003 when I retired. In uh, 89, when I left active duty, uh, I went to work for American Airlines, and so I've been flying as a uh, co-pilot and uh, more recently as a captain for American Airlines uh, since 89. And then uh, about uh, 10 years ago, uh, I was approached by the uh, president of the Children's Hospital about uh, taking some of the ideas uh, that have made commercial aviation as safe as it is today and helping uh, to implement some of those ideas in healthcare. And so uh, it, it's turned into a real passion for me, and it's, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And uh, it's just really neat to kind of like, you know, the work that you do, mm -hmm. uh, seeing the, uh, the principles uh, that have grown largely out of the manufacturing sector, but seeing how applicable they are in, in uh, you know, in knowledge work and in, uh, well, in healthcare, et cetera. It's just they're, they're universally applicable uh, yeah. and ideas. Well, and we certainly, you know, we know, and the listeners, I guess, are learning now that we share that passion for um, healthcare improvement and, you know, that we've really enjoyed, um, you know, finding, you um, 
connections between different methodologies here. And, and before we come back and, and, and talk about lean later, um, may, you know, some of our listeners might not be familiar with crew resource management. If you can um, define that and talk a little bit um, about the history of, of how that got in, into healthcare, and then maybe in, in the course of talking about some of that history, maybe weaving in how you got involved in Life Wings and a little bit about the work that, uh, that you do there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so crew resource management, uh, and for people who are in healthcare, uh, crew resource management is, is now known as team steps. So anytime that you and I say crew resource management, I typically will flip back and forth between the two. But uh, it, it got its birth in, in commercial aviation. And in the 70s, uh, we recognized that even though uh, it was it was even at the time in the 70s, it was much safer to uh, to be in an airplane than it was to be in the car on the way to the airport. We still were having accidents, um, not because our pilots were not very well trained. They, they had tremendous technical skills, uh, but we had uh, interpersonal communications and uh, uh, leadership and decision-making practices that, that were no longer uh, adequate. Uh, and, and so we got to the point where we realized that really there were cultural elements that were missing. Uh, and so uh, NASA became involved and generated, created a, uh, a syllabus or some ideas about things that needed to happen. And, and the airlines themselves uh, each went and developed their own crew resource management program to uh, teach pilots how to be more uh, appropriately assertive uh, and uh, communicate more clearly to involve team members to make decisions uh, instead of uh, just the old uh, John Wayne command and control, I'll make the decision and you do what I say. Uh, and so uh, implemented those through the 80s and, and a lot of false starts in the 80s, uh, but we began in the early 90s to really see some tremendous results and, uh, well, I mean, it, it has made the commercial uh, Jet aviation in the United States is the safest transportation system in the world, and uh, it, it was with not with high tech uh, innovations, but it was a very very low tech uh, innovation, and that is uh, changing the way people uh, interact with one another and the culture that surrounds uh, how we work. Mm -hmm. So that was the uh, that's that's the, the background on crew resource management, and uh, it's still very much a part of my training. Every nine months, uh, when I go to training uh, at the airline, I get uh, refresher training on human factors and uh, just the basics of crew resource management. It's that important. Um, so about uh, I guess in the late uh, '90s, some really smart folks in healthcare began to look and say, you know, uh, we have uh, you know a, a lot of our Sentinel events uh, are very similar to accidents in aviation in that they are uh, one of the leading root causes is uh, interpersonal communications uh, in interdisciplinary teams, uh, especially as the complexity grows in healthcare. We saw more and more and more uh, Sentinel events, untoward outcomes uh, that were a result of, of many of the things that crew resource management addresses. And so uh, over the last 15 years, uh, a lot of smart folks have been, uh, have been coming up with clever ways to take the skills, lift the skills out of commercial aviation and then implement them in healthcare. And, and you've been involved in particular with Life Wings for, for how long now? Yeah, Just actually, I've introduction there. Yeah. For, uh, for, for 10 years. And, um, uh, it, it, it's been really gratifying. It began uh, sort of as a, a fairly um, 
oh, uh, low impact on my schedule. And uh, as, as we began to get more and more work, mostly with academic medical centers, uh, I just, as I said, I have a real passion for it and thoroughly enjoyed it. And so uh, these days, if I'm, not, if I'm not flying an airplane, I'm, I'm working with somebody in a hospital uh, somewhere around the world. And uh, uh, it, like I say, the results are gratifying. So it's, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, it's just a quick follow-up question. I, I didn't know the history that, as, as, as you mentioned, you said each airline developed their own approach to crew, crew resource management. I'm curious, do you think, has, it was that because of differences maybe in each airline's culture, or was it just kind of working independently? Has that, has that come back to, to become more consistent over time? Or I'm just curious why that developed separately, either good or bad. So, so great question. Um, I, I think that it, it was probably a mix of uh, pragmatism, and um, uh, and and the airlines did have different cultures. Uh, they are a lot more uh, similar these days than they were in those days. Um, but uh, certainly, depending on how old the you know how long the airline had been around, uh, what part of the country they flew in, uh, what kind of people they hired, uh, each airline was different. Um, so you really, it would be difficult at that time to create a one-size-fits-all. But then the other part of it, I think, is, is um, well, it's very similar to, to the lean idea of, uh, of small trials and, uh, okay, let's see what works. And so um, as the airlines all, all, you know, implemented their programs, some of the programs that were, were very, very successful and others were moderately successful. And so then we had the opportunity, when I say we, uh, researchers uh, had the opportunity to go and look at each system and see what was working well and what was not. And uh, this is an area where, uh, you know, aviation, uh, commercial aviation does not compete on safety. If somebody figures mm -hmm. something out, we share liberally. Um, and so uh, we all learn from one another. And uh, now, while, while a particular acronym at uh, Delta Airlines may be different from what they use at Alaska Airlines, the fundamental principle is, is, uh, is identical. Because mm -hmm. we do know what the evidence-based practices are in, in aviation. So let, I want to maybe building on that, you know, talk about now some of the applications of, of CRM or team steps into healthcare. Because um, I know we, we've talked before that this is by no means as simple as just going out and buying a checklist or having some carbon copy, you know, cookbook approach um, to this in hospitals, which seems, you know, that, that you know, that... Um, is what the airlines did. They were developing their own based on, like you said, some science and some, some standard principles. Um, can you comment on, on that or, or just some other thoughts about how this is developing in healthcare and how that's um, different than it was getting things started maybe in aviation? Well, one of the things that we, we really surprised us, I mean, you remember, this is a bunch of pilots walking into a hospital and um, when, when you, one of the things that we know is that is that just conducting training uh, in this these, these ideas, people say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh -huh. But then they turn around and say, okay, so how do we apply this in healthcare? Mm -hmm. And so when we began in, to to go and work, I mean, I, I remember when we were up at uh, Vanderbilt uh, University, and and uh, this was back in the uh, early 2000s, long before the checklist manifesto and some of the other great things that have come out. Um, they were they wanted to implement these ideas and, and they said okay so how do we do this and we said well okay so how do you start a case 
you know, say an opera, you know, a, 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 an operation in the OR. How do you start a case? And, and the answer is, well, it depends. And, and no matter how much we drilled down, uh, we kept getting the answer, it depends. And we recognized that there was very, very little standardization in healthcare. And so, um, just as as you know, your, your listeners struggle perhaps a little bit, maybe not as much now as as we used to. Um, the, the idea of standardization in healthcare was not uh, readily grasped and, and appreciated. So that was one of the things that we kind of had to make the case for. You know, look, um, uh, a, a checklist is is not going to do something for you. Uh, you still have to do the work. You still have to. Um, uh, you, you're still going to have to use these skills, but you cannot. Um, you, you, it, the checklist itself is not a fix. In fact, there's a, a great quote by Peter Ponovos, and it, I'll paraphrase, but he said, the problem with the simple checklist concept is that it's a technical solution to a sociocultural problem. Mm-hmm. And, and it, the problem is, and then that comes right back to these ideas in Team Steps or CRM, is, is that, uh, so we use the checklist as a, a prompt to make sure that we are having uh, important conversations, and so we not only can we cross-check to make sure that that things are in fact completed. Um, it's not simply a grocery list. It is a it is a prompt. It is a, uh, a structure to ensure that we we each uh, talk about what we have done to prepare for this case, and to make sure that we're we're creating a forum where uh, people are going to ask questions to clarify information, and that they will uh, to set a tone or a, a, a here in the OR, that if at any time you have any questions or concerns, I'm counting on you to speak up. Um, and so we really struggled, one, with, with getting the idea of standardization across. And of course, as, as you and your listeners uh, have really helped us out a lot because people get the idea of, okay, I see how standard, standard work does make things easier and better and more predictable. And so uh, we, we often, especially if we're working with somebody who is, um, uh, is already on their lane journey, we, we often describe many of the things that we do as this is standard work for teams. This is a way that we interact with one another in a very predictable way. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question there, Mark. But... Mm-hmm. No, no, and, and you, you did, and I think there's couple things I'd like to dig a little deeper into. I mean, for one, just reacting what you talk about with standardization. I mean, I think there, there, there's still, I think, controversy that comes from misperceptions when we use the word standardized work or standardization in healthcare. Uh, I think especially among physicians where people jump to a conclusion that means, well, oh, by standardized, you mean check your brain at the door and be completely rigid and inflexible. I'm like, well, no, of course not. That's not that's not what we mean, um, but like you said, it provides some structure um, to make sure that we don't forget things. You know, by using the checklist. Um, and one other thing I'd like to talk about here more is some of the structure about how to communicate more assertively if if we identify uh, a risk in in the operating room. Um, so I think you know I think we're still trying to communicate some of those subtleties. Um, I think yeah, I saw uh, Captain Sullenberger from, you know, now retired from the famous uh, miracle on the Hudson landing, and and he said, you know, checklists were helpful, 
but they had they didn't have a checklist that said here's what happens if you lose both engines due to bird strikes right after takeoff and you're considering having to possibly land on a river he said that the thinking and the judgment was you know between he and the co-pilot figuring out which different checklists to piece together to allow them to do that problem solving and decision making more quickly which i I thought it was a really fascinating point. Um, so I'm curious your your reactions um, to, to to that. You know, um, maybe before we come back to healthcare from from your perspective as a pilot, your reaction to sure his recounting of that. So um, uh, you've you've hit so many things. Um, going to to uh, uh, Sullenberger's uh, event, U.S. Air 1549, the uh, Hudson River landing. Uh, you're right. I mean, I've watched that uh, that. Uh, reenactment uh, hundreds of times and there's just so much there you're right they're skipping from this checklist to that checklist they are but they had something standardized that they could fall back on and say okay I, I know that I need to get this piece done and I know that this checklist will help me get this piece done once they had that part done then they set it down and they said now I need to do something else and I have another standardized way that I can get this done so it, it, it freed their mind up uh, to you know uh, from the mundane task of mm -hmm. the correct sequence of events to accomplish this and allowed their their uh, their critical thinking skills to be still readily available. And especially um, Sully was, was doing a lot of, of big picture thinking. Uh, you know, where's Teterboro, which is another airport over there in New Jersey, thinking may, I might be able to get over to there. And right. he, he was going through, he was trialing so many different uh, ideas. And the reason he can do that is because they, in a, in a very, very short period of time, they fell into a script, my aircraft, your aircraft. Mm -hmm. And that, even just as something as simple as that, so in healthcare, my patient, your patient, those simple words just speak volumes about what, you know, what is your primary responsibility, your secondary responsibility, what is my primary responsibility, my secondary responsibility. Yeah. And, and you can drop into roles, sit with just a simple script like that, and you know, and so Sully said, you're trying to get the engines relit. I know that, and you're running these checklists, and uh, and I'm trying to think through this big picture problem while while we try and get the engines started. But neither one of them completely dropped that the other role either. Right. So like, still helping to start the engines, and uh, Jeff Skiles, the co-pilot, uh, was still thinking big picture stuff. And he, and he comes, he, you know, he came up with a couple of just really solid uh, recommendations in there as he was. Fulfilling his primary responsibility, so that, that's a great example of how the standardized work uh, fits in so well. Or this idea of standardized protocols fits in so well with uh, with completely unpredictable situations, yeah. and and it gives you something to fall back on, so you are communicating very effectively. Yeah, and you know, like you, so as you were saying, they were you know handing off my aircraft, your aircraft. Um, you know, some of the some of the awful stories that you hear back before. Back in the day, before crew resource management was was developed, is that you know the scenario of a pilot and a co-pilot are each doing all these different things, and nobody was keeping track of the altitude, right? And then you know, and and, and clearly that didn't happen here. Um, or if somebody, let's say, if the co-pilot had a concern about altitude, they might not have um, they might not have spoken up. And so to to build on that and bring it back to healthcare setting, you know, uh, I, I was able to set in. Uh, a couple of years ago on, um, I think it was a half day class that, that LifeWings did with a hospital. And, you know, as we talked about after, afterwards, the thing I, I was really impressed by was, or that was new to me, was not 
just checklists because you know people out there in, in the lean methodology would would recognize that as a form of standardized work that 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 guides your work or confirms your work but the thing that really impressed me was that standardized way of speaking up based on experience of of, of how to speak up in a way that would be more likely listened to Right. Um, so I was wondering if you can tell the listeners a little bit about that approach and especially how that applies, say, in an operating room setting. If you have a, a surgical tech or a circulating nurse, why would they have trouble speaking up and, and how does this method teach them a better way? Sure. Uh, it's And you really zeroed in on, okay, in my opinion, I, I think there are a lot of benefits uh, to the entire package of, of skills and, and techniques that, uh, that Team Steps or CRM bring into healthcare. But if, if I was going to pick the one that I think is, is the most important, it is, it is a standardized way that I can be assertive without being aggressive and that you recognize, oh, I see what, I see what he's doing. He, he's, he's making an assertive statement here. Uh, I, I might be missing something. And it, and it removes me and you uh, or any potential perception of adversarial relations it removes you and me from the equation and, and we're, now we're zeroed in on on okay what is the problem what is going to happen so if if i um, if if i think if, if i'm doing my count or if i'm the, the, the circulator and i i think we're missing the, the tip of the catheter um i understand it's not only do i know how to speak up and i'm, and I'm empowered to speak up but i'm held accountable for speaking up. That's part of my job. Part of my job description is to speak up when I think uh, another member of the team is is about to make a, a critical mistake or, or is missing something. And so I'm, I'm the circulator and I'm going to say, hey, I think that the, 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 circ the uh, catheter tip is missing. Now, you, most of the time, just a simple statement like that is, is going to fix the problem. But every once in a while, I mean, uh, Mark, uh, you can probably identify a uh, Every once in a while, people are tired or fatigued, and uh, or they are stressed, or they're thinking about the next case, or for whatever reason, um, they ignore the, the, the statement. And so now this person, you know, I, let's say I'm the circulator, and I'm the one who thinks that, that this catheter tip is perhaps still inside the patient, and we're getting ready to close. You can see that this is a very stressful situation for me. Okay, well, I, I was just told that, you know, it's not in the patient. Do I, do I continue to advocate? Well, the tip is missing. What, do, what does the patient want? What does the patient's family want? Figure out where it is. Um, you know, and, and so they're counting on me to make some kind of a, a, a sort of statement and for it to be heard in the context of this is not about who's right and who's wrong. Let's talk about what's right and wrong. And so there's a four-part assertive statement that, uh, that is an effective stop-the-line statement uh, when, when uh, perhaps uh, hierarchy or, uh, uh, or or any other of the you know any fatigue, stress, anything like that is is becoming an impediment to that communication, and it has to get through. Um, it, it, so the, the first part is you, you call their name, you call them by name, and especially if it's uh, if it's somebody that you maybe you work with all the time, perhaps and you're on a first name basis, perhaps you add their title. So, nurse, nurse Susan, or something, to get their attention, quickly get their attention, and that's going to snap them around. And then, and then you make an I statement of concern. I'm concerned uh, because that tends to deflate any perception of adversarial relations. 
Now you clearly state the problem and then propose a solution in we or let's language. Um, and so uh, what you what you did in in, uh, in the class that you attended, Mark, is is you practiced uh, uh, making and uh, the, that kind of an assertive statement. And where I think it's particularly helpful in in uh, so if you have created standard work with an organization, if your listeners that are that are you know that created some standard work and it requires you know and, and, and I walk in and I see that that you are not. Uh, in compliance with standard work, you are you are you know blowing it off. You're, yeah, I know, I but I have my own way of doing it. It's a way for me to to um, to speak up and say, wait a minute, uh, Jim, I'm concerned because we've created the standard work and we're going to use the standard work, and if it's not working well, then we're going to continue to iterate yeah. uh, to make sure we do get it. So it's always uh, the best way to do it. Let's uh, break out the standard work uh, uh, card and let's let's go through it and do it this one way. And if you have some ideas, let, let's let's add those in and let's change it and make it better. So, I think that kind of uh, uh, an agreement among all of the stakeholders, uh, all the prof uh, all the disciplines, all the professions, that we uh, we owe it to the patient and their families to uh, instill a culture where it's not just okay for us to have these types of conversations. Right. Uh, we must. Well, and, and the one thing I really liked about the approach was the statement of, I have a concern, because I think Lean teaches us to try to state, to recognize and state facts more so than just opinions or assumptions. And you know, I was taught in the class, when you say, I have a concern, that that's a factual statement that really can't be argued with. Right, right. And it could turn out that I had a concern it turned I know, for, for and, and that concern is resolved because the catheter tip is actually there and I just didn't see it, right? Right. Well, and I, and I think actually you've hit upon another important part of this is, is part of the culture also is that uh, when somebody speaks up and it turns out that they're incorrect, you, you say thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for speaking up. I, I'll tell you, I mean, in my own personal life uh, or professional life, believe it or not, one of the most difficult things to do when you move from the right seat to the left seat is drive around the airports because especially back back in the old days, um, every airport labeled their, their taxiways differently. And we've done a lot of standardized work on that and it's, it's there's standardization on that. And so, uh, but there's still, every airport's laid out differently. Um, and so getting from the gate to the runway is 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 really uh, uh, an important task. And, and I mean, up in, uh, you and I are both from Detroit, uh, you know, if there was a, an awful accident up at, um, at Detroit uh, Metro Airport mm -hmm. yeah. where they got lost and they taxied onto a runway uh, with heavy fog and there was a terrible accident. And so you want to get that right. It, it, it's, it's mundane, but you really want to get it right. Well, after I checked out as a captain, I mean, I hadn't been... That was probably, uh, I don't know, four or five months, uh, you know, in the left seat. And we were taxiing uh, at DFW Airport, and my co-pilot challenged me and said, we're supposed to turn here. You know, and so we obviously, you know, we stopped the brakes. I thought we were supposed to go up to the next taxi. Uh -huh. But, you know, stop the, air, the airplane, call the tower. And it turns out that, that I was correct. But I turned to my co-pilot, and I said, thank you for mm -hmm. speaking up. Keep doing that. And so that's how you keep that, that culture moving forward. So when I challenge you on standard work and, and you say, well, no, it's been updated. See, this is the new, yeah. ah, okay, I'm sorry. No, 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 thank you. 
that's that's how we yeah. did, that's how we make this work. And so it, it's it, it's um, it does deflate some of the, the ego, perhaps, mm-hmm. and and it really focuses us on uh, what's right and the facts. Yeah. Well, and and like you said, I mean, what's right for all the passengers sitting behind you? What's right for the crew? What's right for yourselves? And and like you said, in the operating room. That question should be coming from the perspective of what's right for the patient. The patient would want us to make sure that we have enough units of blood before we start the procedure. And if it turns out we did have enough, I think that's that's a, a big cultural difference for someone to say thank you for asking. And so, you know, you mentioned culture early on. I want to come back to this. I mean, it, it's how do you address it when you go into a hospital where it's one thing to say you're empowered, but people still might be scared to speak up or, or what happens if, if somebody speaks up and the doctor uh, does not listen or does not respond constructively? Um, are, are there expectations that, that that you're setting or that, that you're signing up senior management for, whether that's uh, you know, chief of surgery, chief medical officer, or at what level do, do senior leaders really create that environment to say, well, if you don't respond properly, I mean, did, would they leap to say, well, we'll, we'll take your privileges away or, or, you know, how does that play out generally? So that's a, a great question. And, and we didn't, uh, again, back in the early days, it didn't occur to us that we needed to do that, but, uh, we did figure it out because, um, somebody would, would take the training seriously and would speak up and then they got, uh, smacked down and abused and, and, uh, hey, I'm not doing that anymore. So yeah. Yeah, one of the first things we do is is we teach the course that you just discussed uh, to the uh, senior leadership of the organization, the executive level, you know, the CEO, COO, uh, chief medical officer, chief nursing officer, and then typically they'll begin they'll begin in a particular department. So the the you know chairs of the appropriate um, uh, specialties, and then the uh, department managers and such. So we we teach the leadership the course, and then we continue and we have actually a two day. Um, you know, off-site, if you will, uh, where we go through those types of scenarios, and and, and they create, uh, they come to a consensus uh, policy, uh, policies, and, and, a, and a philosophy of okay, if we're going to do this, this is how we're going to do it, and this is why we're going to do it, and so, and if, if we're going to do it this way, then uh, then we need to have policies in place to make sure that we we actually are successful. So it is, you know, and 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 uh, one of our guys. Uh, has a uh, a great saying, you know. People are watching; they're watching to see how the leadership of the organization responds, uh, because it's not just that one person who's going to learn the lesson. Everybody's going to learn the lesson very quickly as to whether are we serious about this this uh, this change in our culture. Right. One other thing I want to talk about here, and we've got a couple of minutes. I mean, we 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 could maybe we can do a second podcast at some point down the road. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about how. You're combining lean methodologies and, and team steps and, and into what you're calling lean steps. Um, I'm curious if you can talk about kind of practically speaking what, what some of the synergies are. We, you and I have agreed for a long while here. There's a, there's a high level of kind of conceptual and philosophical overlap. Um, but but what, what is that lean steps approach that, um, that you're so putting I, in place? I Clear that that uh, lean steps is is really that's that's my uh, my Twitter name and I'm the only one who who uses that. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, but it, it I mean it's it, because I I do think they they uh, that either one on its own is is great, but you really get a lot of, of synergy uh, from 
from a, an integrated approach. The, um, you know, we've talked about the standardization, and they were both developed outside of health care. Uh, I think they they both uh, engender respect for people. Uh, they're both um, uh, bottom up methodologies. Now, you and I just talked about about how essential the leadership actions are. But the fact is, you know, um, the, the, the the chief pilot at, at you know at the airline is not there in the cockpit to make sure that things happen. That 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 that, that the first officer does speak up if it's you know if something's uh, if they have a concern. That the flight attendant calls up and continues to advocate if they have a concern. Uh, and so it has to be implemented at, at you know at the gemba, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so both of them uh, are, are you know very well aligned on that. They both are. Hey, you have to measure the results, or it doesn't matter. And servant leadership. So there's a lot of things that are very similar about the two. Um, that said, you know, uh, Team Steps or CRM is very limited in its ability to address, you know, material and supply, equipment, instrumentation issues, uh, workspace uh, organization and optimization, uh, workflows, pathways, and uh, engineering or ergonomics issues. Uh, and some of those, and most of those, are you know, uh, the the lean uh, techniques and uh, the lean philosophies are optimized and, and really handle those things well. Um, lean, on the other hand, uh, you know, it is it has has some challenges as we've just discussed with professional hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, uh, sometimes conflict resolution, uh, un, uh, unknown, unanticipated situations, recognizing unanticipated situations as they're developing, uh, and, and so when when we work with a hospital now, uh, we don't we don't prescribe anything until we go with them and look and see. Well, okay, what are what are what's the problem? If they're if they're uh, you know bleeding on their on their supplies or on their their case cards or that kind of thing, I can tell them how to have. Uh, you know, make an assertive statement or how to do team uh, problem solving, decision making, all I want. That's probably not going to fix that that uh, those mm-hmm. case cards. Whereas, you know, the, the the lean techniques and the methodologies, they you know just add, oh, give that to me. So, we we work with the leadership of the organization and say, here's here's what we think is is you know uh, where we would begin, and here's why. But we let them make those decisions, and typically, honestly, in today's environment, uh, that begins with financial. Now, the, the leadership of the organizations these days is still they understand the importance of the cultural piece, but uh, the uh, implementing some of the lean uh, methodologies gets them the the savings that they need right up front in order to continue to to do this culture change. And so. Uh, there is no cookie cutter approach. Mm-hmm. Every every implementation has to be customized. There are some places where they say, "Look, I'm going to be losing people. I can't I can't keep my nursing staff. Uh, you know, I can't be, stay fully staffed here because of the toxic relations." Well, then maybe it makes more sense to to shift and and do more of the the human interaction piece first, and follow in with the uh, with the lane, or or perhaps do both. So. Um, it's it's helpful. To, I guess it's nice to have uh, more tools in the toolbox to um, to help address problems. Uh, you know, there are some things that we would just kind of say, "Hey, we we don't do that." You know, we don't have an app for that. And so, uh, using using some of the ideas of lean and the, the, the techniques uh, really has has helped us out a lot in helping our partners and and therefore help, helping them help their patients. 
Yeah, and um, thank you for, for for pointing out. Thank you for sharing the concern. You're right. I um, I should have asked it, uh, the the question in terms of lean plus team steps, and I'll I'll link to a couple different articles and uh, press releases that um, that LifeWings has put out talking about that combination of of lean and team steps. As as we see so often, you know, with with lean plus whatever that you know these different methodologies can be uh, very complementary and very consistent. And people might get confused by terminology, but they shouldn't be confused by, um, you know, they're, they're like I said, you know, I think there's very little, um, I don't know if there's any inconsistency in these approaches, which is why I'm so excited about it. And um, I know you are as well. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're at a point where uh, my concern, unfortunately, is that we're, is that we're running, uh, Steve, my concern is that we're running out of time. So what I, what I suggest we do is um, just wrap up and then, you may have, I know there's lots of other things I could ask you about. It's always nice talking to you, but maybe listeners will have um, follow-up questions. Um, so maybe just to ask you to wrap up, uh, do you have any um, final thoughts you would want to share and maybe share some contact info so how people can find you online? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you really nailed it in saying it, it's not one or the other. They, uh, they are highly complementary. Uh, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to, to visit with anybody about, about some of the things we've learned, some of the challenges they face and whether I believe, uh, you know, if, if we've seen that and, uh, anything that CRM can do to, to assist them at, on their lane journey. Um, and, uh, as far as my contact information, we are at, uh, saferpatients.com and, uh, I'm Steve Montague. Steve Harden is our president. We're, so, uh, there's two Steves, uh, there and, uh, but Steve is, is very adept at, at discussing uh, lean and CRM and, and understanding which one is appropriate where. Well, getting all, I'll post links uh, to the website and to your Twitter account, which is at Lean Steps, um, and with with two P's, and um, people can find you and, and hopefully reach out. So uh, as always, it's just uh, it's always fascinating to um, to hear what you're working on and, and to learn about. Um, you know, the, the the background with aviation safety, how that's being applied, and how it's being combined uh, with manufacturing um, practices. So, um, really exciting times, and uh, thank you again for talking about it here on the podcast. Well, Mark, thanks for making the assertive statement, uh, and uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.